On this prequel episode, we've got our Little Mermaid fan feedback. We're talking about why we are covering the 1995 BBC miniseries of Pride and Prejudice and previewing Pride and Prejudice. Hello and welcome back to this film, the podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books. It's a prequel episode. It's another week. We've got a bunch of stuff to get to, so let's jump right into it with our patron shoutouts. No new patrons this week, but we do have our Academy Award winners, and they are Winchester's Forever, Kelly Napier, Gray Hightower, Eli Young, Scratch, Just Scratch, Shelby Says Black Lives and Trans Lives Matter, My Name is Nathan, and Alina Dolitkolovo. I don't know what that is a reference. Is that a Pride and Prejudice reference that I'm? No, that was last time um, we were talking oh, about. And I, I was asked. like, I don't know what their actual yeah. name is. And I was like, Duh. I think it's this specific person on uh, Twitter. Yes, and I'm pretty sure I'm correct now. There you so. go. I was like, I assume. See, even when you switch it and tell us what your name is, I didn't even get it. If Katie had not been here, I would have been like, Well, I don't know what that's a reference to. Moving on. <laughs> wouldn't have realized that that you were trying to communicate your name uh you're the person who's cried wolf too many times all right let's get to it we've got a lot of feedback for the little mermaid so let's go ahead and talk about it yeah well you know that's just like uh your opinion man yeah we did get quite a bit of feedback on this one just because I, I like the transparency, so I'll always put this caveat at the front. I did shorten some yeah. of the comments. Just so people know. Yeah. Especially on Facebook, we tend to get pretty long comments because there's no, like, uh, limit, there's limit. no character limit. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but I, I did uh, cut some of them down because we did get quite a bit of feedback. Yeah. But speaking of Facebook, on Facebook, we had eight votes for the movie and zero for the book. Mm-hmm. Sarah said, I loved getting a chance to revisit this movie and to read the original fairy tale for the first time. As is probably true for many listeners of a certain age, this was the very first film I saw in a movie theater when I was a kid and has always been one of my favorite Disney movies. I really enjoyed reading the story. Anderson's prose is extremely evocative, and I was initially surprised by the number of things that I recognized in it from the movie, but less surprised once I realized the images the story conjured were too good not to use. Hmm. However, I still have to give it to the movie because the story was just so depressing. (laughs) The movie takes a great idea and turns it into a narrative that is complete, exciting, and doesn't have to tie itself in knots to give Ariel the ending she deserves, so it gets my vote. There you go. Corinne said... So I only read The Little Mermaid once or twice when I was very young, whereas the movie we watched enough that my siblings and I could recite the movie from memory. That said, I don't know if I could pick which I prefer. The movie is clearly more fun and an important part of my childhood. But what I remember from the story was actually feeling sad from reading for the first time, and I loved it. That's interesting. Yeah. So, that's like, a yeah, an emotional response yeah. to the story that is interesting. It's because it is something that's definitely, as a kid, you do tend to remember that first time you had a vivid... Usually, you're, you, a lot of times you'll remember, at least to some extent, remember, um, you know, any time a piece of media gives you, a, like, a new vivid reaction. Mm-hmm. A, a very, a, yeah, an emotional like response. Like, whatever it may be, like, wow, this Especially at that age, sad. yeah, you're not expecting me... yeah. to feel sad from something because you're probably used to children's literature. Right, yeah, a lot of children's literature doesn't have that, but the first time you watch yeah. The Fox and the Hound or whatever, you're or, like, oh. Hello, Bridge to Terabithia. <laughs> yeah, 
Um, but I think it's true for a lot of emotions. You know, you know, the, fir- the first time you watch something that like blows your mind, like mm-hmm. philosophically, it's usually mm-hmm. something or read or whatever, you know, is something that tends to stick with you. So I think that um, is an interesting reason for to, to make that uh, that it, to have a tough time choosing between the book and the movie because the book had this very distinct memory yeah. for you, not yeah. necessarily because you made prefer a, it. Yeah, made a very <laughs> distinct impression on yeah. you for sure. Ian said. I remember watching this for the first time when it was released for my fifth birthday and absolutely loving it. I don't subscribe to the view that this is a girl's film. What tosh. Neither do we. No, neither do we. That's definitely a Katzenberg thing. (laughs) I mean, to be fair to him, it's a marketing thing. Yeah, it's a marketing thing. It's an everybody thing. Even It's a a society problem, even still to today, even more so back in the 90s. (laughs) But I mean, even more. Yeah, it's 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 still a continuing issue. There are two things you brought up that are better in the story. The descriptions of the seas with the icebergs is one of the best. Sailing the North Atlantic and Alaska, it is a majestic sight. Also, the concept of mermaids turning into sea foam or white caps, it always springs to my mind when I'm on the outer deck looking out across the ocean. So aside from those two, that's why I go for the film. It's a darn good nostalgic film that I did my best to wear the VHS out on at my grandparents' place during the summer. Quick question, is Ian a sea captain? <laughs> Based on that comment, it sounds like um, you are a sea captain. <laughs> quite possibly. I think, uh, like, Navy, maybe? Oh, or, yeah, or, we did have somebody who said there. I yeah. don't know if that's Ian, but I do remember somebody saying they were in the Navy, mm-hmm. so I don't recall who it was. I just remember seeing that comment at some point. So, yeah, someone, that could be. Someone who spends time on a boat. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so that interesting. But you could still be a captain. I don't, we don't know what their rank is. True. <laughs> Odds are they're not like the captain. No, because it's different in the Navy. Captain's higher in the, I don't know. I don't know. Because I was thinking like there are more captains well, in like the I, army. I think this might also be British Navy. So oh, I don't know how that, that could even yeah. be like different. From but I was thinking, yeah, because I, I think in the Navy, I could be wrong with this, but like captain in general, like there's only one of those on a boat. Whereas like in the army, there's like mm-hmm. one in your platoon, but there can be, co- there's quite a few more captains, I think. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. I'm making things up. So. <laughs> Let us know, Ian. Uh, just write in some, send us a message or whatever. No, on the next prequel notes, this is a, your homework. On the next prequel, if you comment on the next one for Pride and Prejudice, or even if you don't, just put a little note, be like, by the way, I'm this, so we can relay that to our mm-hmm. listeners. So they, <laughs> we can solve this mystery and wrap, put a bow on it. <laughs> and our last comment on Facebook Anthony said, The Little Mermaid was the first film I ever saw in theaters at the age of five. That is a common theme, as Sarah suspected it would be. It's funny hearing Brian's memories of the film because I remembered (laughs) all the things he forgot and forgot all the points he remembered. There you go. I also have a vivid memory of crying at the end when Triton gives her legs. Needless Hmm. to say, I gave it to the film. Yield fairy tales get too (laughs) strange for my taste. Get out. I don't I don't think I cried at uh, I, I believe I cried at Lion King when um, not Scar um, Mufasa dies, mm. if I remember correctly. But I don't I don't remember crying in Little Mermaid, but I could have. I, I did not see the Little Mermaid in theaters because I was like three months old. I'm pretty sure it was. What was it? Ninety three. Ninety two. Little Mermaid. Yeah, Eighty nine. Wait, 89? 89. Oh, it was in yeah, theaters. I wouldn't have seen yeah. it in theaters either then. I would have been one. So, but I mean, I yeah. saw it. Yeah. 
Yeah, we had Lion King may have been the first movie I saw in theaters. Lion King is the first movie I remember. Or The Little Mermaid, or not Little Mermaid. Beauty and the Beast. Beauty and the Beast, potentially. Yeah. My mom says she took me to see Beauty and the Beast in the theaters, but I don't remember it because I was too little. But I remember seeing The Lion King. All right, cool. Let's head over to Twitter. So on Twitter, we had twelve votes for the movie, four for the book, and two voters who couldn't decide. Kelly Napier at Standby for Live said. Anyone who votes for the book is actually Ursula disguising themselves as Vanessa to try and ensure the success of their plan. <laughs> this is the very first comment we got on any of our polls. <laughs> yeah. And I loved it. <laughs> Nathan Bodnar, at Nathan Bodnar. I think this is Nathan of My Name is Nathan. Oh, okay. I think. Yeah. Uh, they said, definitely voting for the movie, although the ambiguity of the book is intriguing. I love Ursula because she's the best Disney villain and Under the Sea is my jam. Best Disney villain. I, she's up there. Definitely, definitely high up there. Oh, definitely high. I mean, easily top five. I don't think you have to argue top five. I'm just trying to think. Who I, I, I don't want to run through it right now. We got a lot to get to. <laughs> but I'm just, I was just thinking, I was like, hmm, who would I put number one? I, I might honestly put Ursula number one. I think there are other villains who get more press. Yeah. But I think Ursula is a super solid villain. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Good. Let's move on. Shelby Suderman at Shelby Suderman said, I enjoyed both of these, but ultimately I'm giving it to the movie because of the music. As a kid, I preferred Disney's animal stories over their princesses, but The Little Mermaid was special because I adored Jodie Benson singing. Mm. So you preferred like uh, Fox and the Hound and yeah, Dumbo um, and the rescuers. rescuers. The Rescuers Down Under came out like right before The Little Mermaid, so yeah, it's kind of gotcha. a same time period. Yep. David at Kiwi Changeling said, I lean towards the book, but that's probably due to a large amount of self-identifying with Anderson and the problems he was going through while writing it. The film's very good and pretty nostalgic, too. There you go. Maria Meshkova at Rogue underscore X109 said, they're just different stories. (laughs) Also, I watched and loved the TV series before I saw the movie, so I hated that Ariel left those beautiful underwater castles to live in the boring land castle. When, she, when they say TV series, I mean, like, it was Disney made a TV series or There something? was a Little Mermaid okay. TV series for I a while I didn't remember that, so I was just yeah. making sure it was, I'm, like, I'm a Disney I'm assuming version. that's what this is a reference to. I didn't know if there was some other, like, weird, you know, Yeah, adaptation. Yeah, I'm not sure. Like the BBC made a version or something. I don't know. (laughs) I just prefer Anderson's poetic writing, and I like the idea that you literally share your soul with the person you love. It's cute and touching for me. And I like that the sea witch is not the villain. She just trades things and explains that everything has a price and lives her life. (laughs) That was, yeah, 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 that's what you said. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, yeah, I like that kind of element in stories as well, even though I do think Ursula is a really good villain. And our last comment on Twitter is from the Academy Award-winning patron who requested The Little Mermaid. Gray, at Gray underscore Hightower, said, Has to be the movie for me. This and Mulan were two movies I had the strongest feelings for as a child because of the queer readings, not being accepted for who you are and fighting against that, part of your world and reflection being anthems, outcast because of differences, yearning to find your place, etc. 
The movie was a big part of my young development, even if it was through queer coding. I have too many thoughts to share through Twitter. I could write a whole essay. Yeah. Fantastic. Cool. Uh, we got what one comment over on Instagram? Yeah. Um, Instagram, we had 12 votes for the movie, one for the book. And Noe Ramirez YT, which does stand for YouTube. I knew it. Yes. Um, they said, just read the story, and I have to say I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. However, this easily goes to the movie for me. The music, the voice acting, the beautiful animation, this movie is fantastic. I've always loved it and will continue to love it forever. There you go. Uh, and the final results came out pretty much how one would expect. Yeah. Um, so the winner was the movie with 32 votes to the book's five. Fan. Um, and our, our last couple have kind of been landslides like yeah. this, and I'm interested because I feel like Pride and Prejudice no. could go a little differently. It could go differently. I mean, more people, I would imagine, have read it and have potentially fond feelings of it, but mm -hmm. also it gets complicated because there are so many different adaptations. Right. Um, but I, I do think that it, you know, I, I have a feeling it's not going to be quite so like one-sided yeah I, I yeah i have a good idea of what will probably win out um but i yeah i, I am interested to see because i do have a feeling it's not going to be such a total landslide yeah as some of our last few have been indeed and speaking of the mini adaptations of pride and prejudice we don't have a learning things segment this week because our episode was already crazy long we have a bunch of movie notes coming up uh we got a bunch of book notes we had a lot of comments um, but we did want to discuss this topic topic briefly, and that is why we aren't covering the 1995 BBC miniseries. All right. So <laughs> I wanted to address this question to try and head off people asking about it. Too late. People are already asking. I know. People are already asking about it. So from here on out, if you ask about this... <laughs> Please refer to if, the if you episode. ask about this on social media, I'm going to refer you to just, this episode. Just so, copy paste your notes here. So hi, <laughs> here you are. You've been referred to this episode. All right. So I can't speak to the Jane Austen fandom intimately because I'm not in it. But I know there is at least what seems like a lot of contention regarding adaptations of Pride and Prejudice. Mostly uh, a, a discourse with a capital D about the superior adaptation, which really boils down to the 1995 miniseries versus the 2005 film, even mm -hmm. though there are other adaptations of this. I know in particular there's a 1940 version, but yes. other than that, yeah. Um, so I've actually never seen the miniseries. Me neither. Uh, so I, I, I've seen the, the film several times, um, but so I, I can't make that call for myself, which one I think is right. better. From what I've seen, as far as like people discussing this topic, it seems like your preference is largely going to come down to your age demographic. It seems like older people generally prefer the 1995 series. And yeah. like a lot of younger people. Well, I mean, that would make sense just based film. on when they came out. It, you know, it yeah. totally tracks. Like the, those people grew up or, or watched, you know, the 95 one in a more formative right. time for them. And other younger people watched a 2005 one in a more formative time. So. But there is also a discourse about the 1995 miniseries being very accurate to the book. Mm, okay. 
And I have witnessed some snobbery here and there <laughs> in my time on the internet, if you can imagine that. Yeah. So I really just wanted to address this right out the gate and answer the question, why aren't you doing the 1995 <laughs> miniseries? It's clearly superior. <laughs> well, one reason is that this episode was requested by an Academy Award winning patron, and that person specifically asked us if we would yeah. talk about the 2005 film. Yeah. But even if this were not a patron episode, we still would have discussed the film because this is a show about film adaptations. Title of the show, this film is lit. Not television adaptations. <laughs> and I know that probably seems like splitting hairs because all media is kind of just an amorphous blob in 2021. Yeah. But the thing is, is that we both have jobs and you also have GB or BB. Yeah. And it's a much larger time commitment to watch six hours of a TV series than yeah. it is to watch two hours of a film. Mm -hmm. Like that's that's just the way it is. Yeah. And we also like to have time to watch and read things that aren't related <laughs> to the show. True. So we have to draw a line in the sand somewhere. Yeah. Now, we may one day discuss TV adaptations, and there are certainly some properties yeah. that we're interested yeah, in discussing. Definitely. But at the current juncture, we just we don't have the time and the resources. No. Um, and depending on how long a series is, we'd have to plan episodes so far out in advance. It, it gets so messy with TV. I and mean, we've talked about yeah. it briefly before on like AMA bonus episodes or whatever. It just becomes so messy with TV because not only do you have to you have to because you know one book might be one season or it might be a season and a half yeah. it might be you know and and plus they move things around so much yeah. like there, there's stuff that might be the first season might be all of book one of a series and then but also has three chapters from book two because right. you know what i mean like it gets really messy when you do stuff like that um and, uh, and that's on top of the time commitment yeah. of it. We would have to stick to such a purposeful schedule. And like, to be frank, you guys, this is a, this is a two man operation. <laughs> yeah. And the organization aspect of it is a one man operation. <laughs> Very true. I, I do watch, all of that. I watch things. I show up and then I talk and then I edit the episodes. Yeah. Like, everything else <laughs> is me. Yeah. Um, and like, just to add to this, just to give you guys a window into my anxiety, Personally, I'm just really hesitant to open the Pandora's box of television adaptations. Like, I just cannot shake the feeling that once we discuss yeah. one TV adaptation, it's going to open some kind of floodgate and people will be wanting to know when we're talking about Game of Thrones or something that would be like an equally massive undertaking. Yeah. And maybe that's a dumb thing to worry about, but my anxiety <laughs> has not gotten the memo. So here yeah. we are. Yeah. I, and one thing I think that is most likely in terms of TV for the immediate future is um, would be if there are certain things because we talk about TV shows on our bonus episodes for patrons mm -hmm. sometimes. Um, and the thing that would be most likely would be potentially like um, so just for an example, uh, Shadow and Bone, the Netflix series is coming out in April, I think, or May or something. Yeah. It's coming out in the next couple of months, maybe March. I can't remember. I think April. Um, and we're, uh, I've read the whole Shadow and Bone series and I'm currently reading the Six of Crow um, series and you're in, currently reading the Shadow and Bone series um, before we watch it. And we'll probably do a patron episode once that show finishes mm -hmm. and it will be a discussion that will include things like changes they made and stuff, but it won't be like a full... 
yeah. breakdown of every, you know what I mean? So like if you're right, looking not for certain, formatted like we do these episodes yeah. or our main episodes yeah. rather, um, which are much more deep dives uh, as opposed to kind of what we do with some of the bonus episode stuff being more of like discussion, like review type things. Um, so and so they're like certain things, properties like that may show up in bonus episodes. And even if we did it in a bonus episode, doesn't mean that maybe one day we wouldn't do it as a main episode to get like, you know, right. years to who knows. But yeah, I think it is a good line in the sand for now. We do movies. <laughs> we don't do TV shows, which is, you know, it's it is what it is. And I actually like that for myself personally, because I prefer I think I've talked about this before. I prefer television yeah. to movies. Uh, I think there's just uh, the the narrative structure of television allows you to and like the format of television allows you to to tell more intricate, compelling stories over the arc, you know, over the course of a season as opposed to in a film. Um, And so in general, like as a whole, I kind of just prefer watching. It's probably just a delivery. Oh, I would imagine. Oh, is it ours? Is that our HelloFresh box? It's probably HelloFresh. <laughs> We're not sponsored by HelloFresh, but HelloFresh, if you want to sponsor us, if there's some random person from HelloFresh listening. Oh, boy, that really threw me off my, my train of thought. You prefer television. And again, not to sidetrack too much, but I prefer television. So, um, you know, we do actually do watch more television in our own time than mm-hmm. we watch movies. And so I kind of like the format of this show being about movies because it does kind of, f- f- quote unquote, force us to watch yeah. movies that I might not typically watch. Whereas a lot of TV shows we already do watch. So I kind of like that about it as well. Um, This film is lit, not this visual media is lit. (laughs) It doesn't have quite the same ring to it. It doesn't have quite the same ring. (laughs) All right, let's go ahead and learn a little bit about Pride and Prejudice, the novel. He's here. Is he amiable? Is he handsome? He's single. I believe so. Mr. Collins, at your service. In an era when marrying a rich man was the most a woman could hope for, Elizabeth Bennet was way ahead of her time. I singled you out as the companion of my future life. Sir, I cannot accept you. Don't worry, Mr. Collins. Tell her you insist upon them marrying. Oh, please. You will have this house. I can't marry And save your sisters from destitution. You cannot make me. Pride and Prejudice is an 1813 romantic novel of manners written by English author Jane Austen. Um, as an aside here, a novel of manners is a work of fiction that recreates a social wor- world um, conveying with detailed observation the customs, values, and mores of that society. So Austin began writing what would eventually become Pride and Prejudice in 1796 while she was visiting her brother. Um, It was originally titled First Impressions, and it's thought that that original draft was an epistolary novel. Um, Nothing remains of that original manuscript. We don't have it anymore. But it's a popular theory due to the number of letters that appear in the actual published novel. Um, So that version of things was initially rejected by a London bookseller, um, Thomas Caddell, and Austin then spent 1811 and 1812 making very significant revisions to her work and also renamed the story Pride and Prejudice. 
Um, she sold the publication rights then to Thomas Egerton, who was a London bookseller and publisher, for about 110 pounds, which as of 2019, according to Wikipedia, would be about 7,400 pounds, um, or according to Google's uh, conversion thing, a little over $10,000. What this was this her first? Um, no, her first published novel was Sense and Sensibility. Okay, that's what I thought. I didn't think it was. But no, it was not her first. So, so she was an established author. Yeah, or at least somewhat. Uh, somewhat, yeah. yeah. Um, and Sense and Sensibility was uh, pretty successful, yeah. so that helped. That seems like a small amount then, for somebody who had a successful novel already. But so, what's interesting about that? Um, is that she actually sold him Pride and Prejudice on a one-off payment instead of on a commission oh. basis, which proved to be a why, costly decision. Why would you ever <laughs> do that? Especially if you've had a somewhat successful novel already. I feels like... So I, from what I gathered, looking at a couple different sources, one issue was that Sense and Sensibility had not like really kicked off yet. Okay. So she didn't know yet that it was going to be super successful. The other issue was that years before this, she had sold a manuscript to another publisher on a commission basis who then didn't publish it Mm -hmm. and just like sat on it. And she had to like buy it back from them um, in order to try to publish it again later on. So she was like kind of leery of the commission basis. Yeah business model and i say i say why would you do that because but that's not fair i mean i without i have no idea what her like financial situation Mm -hmm. was there's very real likelihood that it's like i need the money yeah so so (laughs) you know i can't wait and hope that it makes well right and the commission basis you know if it doesn't sell and the publisher takes a loss then she's responsible for that right so yeah that's fair or i guess more realistically her family is (laughs) yeah and I guess it, I, I would imagine, I don't know much about the publishing industry, that in modern yeah. days, like, successful publishers get a lump payment for a manuscript or they sign a contract for X number of manuscripts, and then they also get X percentage of... Right, you get, yeah. Of um, royalties, essentially. Yeah, you get... Would be my I guess. I mean, it's, it's it's different. For, it's a little bit different for everything. But, right. yeah, you might get, like, a sum up front, um, and then you make... Like yeah. it once your book gets past like covering the costs of publishing it right. and everything, then you start making royalties. Yeah. But I I don't I don't know a ton about the publishing business either, and especially not at this time period. Yeah. So yeah. Um, but she was you know she was not feeling so great about the commission business model, so she went with the one time payment. Yeah. Whoops. Yeah. So this novel was originally published anonymously, um, as were all of Austin's novels. Um, However, whereas her first published novel, which I said was Sense and Sensibility, that was presented as being written by a lady, Pride and Prejudice was attributed to the author of Sense and Sensibility. Mm. So she was able to kind of go off of yeah, the that. success from the of, person yeah. that brought you sense and sensibility yeah. from the anonymous lady <laughs> yeah. who brought you that other novel that you liked 
So the first edition of Pride and Prejudice came out January 1813. There was a second run in October of that same year, and then the original publisher put out a third edition in 1817. It was pretty well received, Mm -hmm. um, pretty successful. Uh, Foreign language translations first started appearing in 1813 in French. Um, There were subsequent translations into German, Spanish, Swedish, uh, it was first published in the United States in 1832, published under the title Elizabeth Bennett or Pride and Prejudice. There you go. You said Spanish. That says Danish. Am I crazy? Did or, I say Spanish? You did. I think you did. Oh. <laughs> I was just making sure. German, German, Danish, and <laughs> okay, Swedish. Sorry. I, can, I just wanted to make sure you hadn't changed it. It doesn't really matter, but. Unless we have an Austin scholar listening who was like, it's never, it was never oh published in Spanish. If you're an Austin scholar, please don't listen please don't to these listen. episodes. Ooh, gosh, I am not, not an listen. Austin scholar, and I'm currently living in terror that an Austin <laughs> scholar is going to listen to these. So aside from being one of the earliest and most influential examples of a novel of manners, Pride and Prejudice also satirizes. It's the society that it writes about and is often bitingly critical of the world that it's set in. Uh, The major themes of the novel are marriage, wealth, class, and knowledge of oneself. Mm. So there's a lot of fodder to work with Mm -hmm, there for for critique and satire. Absolutely. Although Pride and Prejudice has been criticized for a lack of historical context, um, the existence of the characters of the book in a social bubble that rarely gets penetrated by events from the world beyond is actually a pretty accurate portrayal of the kind of enclosed social world that Austen herself lived in. Yeah. So I could have written a million billion things about the legacy of Pride and Prejudice, (laughs) um, but I tried to keep it kind of succinct here. Pride and Prejudice consistently across the board appears near the top of lists of most loved books, Mm -hmm. both among literary scholars and just the general public. This is a famous book, y'all. Yep. Uh, It has become one of the most popular novels in English literature, Um, over 20 million copies sold at least at the time of, I think I got that off of Wikipedia, Um, and it has inspired not only many direct adaptations, but also many derivatives, reimaginings, and unofficial sequels and prequels in all different kinds of modern media web film television books anything you can think of yep there's probably i mean since it's british there's probably a bunch of bbc radio yeah. plays that yeah. would be a guess i don't actually know i didn't look that up but just they make radio plays probably. out of everything or they used to <laughs> so <laughs> all right that's the uh, book facts let's go ahead and learn about pride and prejudice the 2005 film from jane austen the beloved author of Emma and Sense and Sensibility. That is Mr. Darcy. He looks miserable, poor soul. Miserable he may be, but poor he most certainly is not. Do you dance, Mr. Darcy? Not if I can help it. What on earth have you done to poor Mr. Darcy? I have no idea. I do not have the talent of conversing easily with people I have never met before. Perhaps you should practice. May I have the next dance, Miss Elizabeth? You would be most inconvenient since I've sworn to loathe him for all eternity. You may. <gasps> As I mentioned, Pride and Prejudice is a 2005 film directed by Joe Wright, also directed Atonement, which also stars Kira Knightley, The Soloist, Hannah, which stars Sorcerer Ronan, 
uh, Pan and Darkest Hour. It's written by Deborah Magach. I don't know. I'm assuming that's Irish or Scottish. Magach. It looks Irish or Gaelic-ish to me. Um, M-O-G-G-A-C-H. Her best known movie credit is The Best Exotic Marigold Hotel. And then she wrote a bunch of TV miniseries that I'd never heard of. I assume it's like British, Mm -hmm. like BBC miniseries. Because I do a lot of like those six episode things. Um, It stars Kira Knightley, Matthew McFadden, Brenda Blethyn, Donald Sutherland, Tom Hollander, Rosamund Pike, Carrie Mulligan, Jenna Malone, Tamsin Merchant, and the Dame Judi Dench. Uh, The film has an 86% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's an 82% on Metacritic and a 7.8 out of 10 on IMDb. It made, in its uh, box office run, $121 million against a budget of $28 million, and it was nominated for four Oscars, including Best Performance by an Actress in a Leading Role for Keira Knightley, Best Art Direction, Best Costume Design, and Best Original Score. Did not win any of them, but it was nominated. Uh, early on in the process, Deborah Magoch, Magoch I, I should have <laughs> looked that one up. Because <laughs> I, I think I only ever name in here a couple more times. I'm going to call her Deborah. Deborah. I'm going to call her Deborah. Uh, Deborah was given sole discretion with the early script, and she wrote approximately 10 drafts. Uh, She said she did attempt to be as faithful to the original novel as possible because she called it, quote, so beautifully shaped as a story, the ultimate romance about two people who think they hate each other but who are really passionately in love. I felt if it's not broken, don't fix it. Uh, While she could not reproduce the novel's, quote, fiercely wonderful dialogue in its entirety, she did attempt to keep much of it. Uh, moving on, this was director Joe Wright's feature film debut. B- debut. He had mostly worked in TV, uh, and he and his work was mostly known um, for dealing in the realm of social realism, which attempts to draw attention to socio-political conditions of the working class as a means to critique societal power structures. Which, based on what you said about the themes I mean, of the book, makes sense. Not, yeah, that's not terribly far off. Yeah, essentially he's big on infusing uh, class consciousness and sort of leftist critiques into his work. He was initially unsure if he wanted to direct the film, stating, quote, I don't know if I really, if I was really all that interested. I thought I was a little bit more mainstream than this, a bit more edgy. But then I read the script, and I was surprised that I was very moved by it. He next read the novel, which he called, quote, An amazing piece of character observation, and it really seemed like the first piece of British realism. It felt like it was a very, like it was a true story, had a lot of truth in it about understanding how to love other people, understanding how to overcome prejudices, understanding the things that separate us from other people, things like that. Apparently, he intentionally did not watch other adaptations of the story. He had seen the 1940s version, Mm -hmm. um, but he had not seen the 1995 BBC version. Uh, and he saw the 40s version, like, when he was younger. He didn't remember much of it. But he intentionally did not white, r- watch other adaptations of the story because he didn't want to inadvertently, like, steal elements or things from it and have it, you know, sort of color. Mm-hmm. It's the same reason, like, before we review something, I don't watch reviews of that thing. Yeah. Um, before, you know, we talk about a, a, a movie or something. Um, but he did watch other period films to kind of help get him in the in the feel for it, including Sense and Sensibility, Persuasion, and Far from the Madding Crowd. Um, speaking of the dialogue that the um, Deborah wanted to keep as accurate to the novel as possible, one change that Wright insisted upon in the script was that he believed that quote particularly in big families of girls, everyone tends to speak over each other, finishing each other's sentences, etc. So I felt that the Bennett's family conversations would be overlapping like that, and that's something we did talk about in Little Women, yes, at least in the 2019 version yes. specifically. Um, that that chaotic 
energy of conversation and talking over mm-hmm. each other was something that felt very real and that's something that Wright wanted to bring to this script. Um, because he said in the the writing in the book, they're all very polite and wait and take turns and yes, uh, as opposed to how he felt it would have actually been. Uh, so this is interesting. I didn't know this. Emma Thompson aided in the script development, though she hmm. opted to be uncredited, and she did uh, write and star in Sense and Sensibility. So, one change that both Wright and Deborah made <laughs> was <laughs> I had her last name listed there. Magarch. Uh, one change that Wright and Deborah made was moving the time period to the late 18th century as opposed to the early 1800s of the book. And I'm sure this is a contentious change. Yes, among, this is a contentious change. Here's the reason. Wright wanted to highlight the differences within English, uh, uh, within England influenced by the French Revolution, which I believe was like the very late 1700s hmm. um, from my memory. Um he was fascinated that it would, quote, cause an atmosphere among the British aristocracy of fear, end quote. He also, this is another reason, hated dress, uh, dresses with an empire silhouette, which were very popular during the 18, early 1800s when the book was originally set. You know what? <laughs> Same. I, I get the Regency umpire silhouette. Don't like it. Hate it. Is it umpire and not empire? I believe it's umpire, okay, yes. Sorry. Didn't know that. So, uh, Kira Knightley wasn't initially Wright's choice for the role. Or not his choice, but it wasn't initially uh, what he envisioned for the role. Uh, and the main reason for that was that he thought she was, quote, too attractive to play Elizabeth mm. Bennett. Um, but he changed his mind after getting to know her. Knightley had been uh, an Austin fan since she was seven. Initially, she was feared taking on the role out of apprehension that she would be doing, quote, an absolute copy of Jennifer Eels. I don't know how to pronounce her last name either. Uh, the, the 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 actress who played her in the 1995 mm-hmm. BBC uh, miniseries, uh, that she would be doing a copy of her performance, uh, which she deeply admired. Um, but she went on to say that she believed Elizabeth is, quote, what you aspire to be. She's funny, she's witty, and intelligent. She's fully rounded and very much loved character. Moving on to the casting of Darcy... Was it, it was exp- <laughs> it was especially difficult due to the character's iconic status and because quote Colin Firth cast a very long shadow end yeah. quote <laughs> which I'm sure is another contentious moment. Uh, Wright did think though that Matthew McFadden, a relatively unknown British TV actor, was perfect to the part um, because he kind of saw him as like a man's man. He wanted him. He wanted his uh, Darcy to be more like. Less of like a pretty boy. Like he didn't uh-huh. want like a Hugh Grant or something. Like he thought of him more as like a, and again, I, I, I have actually, not to get into it here, but I've seen this movie once in high school and I remember nothing about it. <laughs> I have not read the story. So that's my only experience with this. Um, but he saw Darcy, I think a little bit different than maybe some other people uh, potentially interpret the character. Um, uh, but he thought Matthew McFadden was perfect for the part and he was mainly able to cast him because he got such a big name with Kira Knightley right. as Elizabeth Bennett because they wanted, the studio wanted, you know, name power in the movie. And luckily, I mean, uh, Kira Knightley was coming off of the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie. So she's, or maybe even the first two at this point. Um, so she's, she's enough to pull in plenty of people. So he was able to cast somebody nobody had ever heard of as, as Darcy. Uh, this is an interesting story. Apparently the director, Wright convinced uh, Judy Dench to join the cast as lady Catherine DeBoer, uh, by writing her a letter that read quote, I love it when you play a bitch, please come and be a bitch for me. <laughs> <End quote. laughs> 
Uh, and apparently I Judy Dench agreed. That. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she's very good at it. Yes. (laughs) She's very good. Um, So BAFTA award-winning costume designer Jacqueline Duran wanted to create a generational divide. And you kind of talked about the different um, costuming choices. But she wanted to create specifically a uh, a generational divide within the costuming so that older characters would dress in mid-18th century fashion while the younger characters wore a sort of, quote, proto-regency style of hair and dress. That makes sense. Which is interesting. Uh, This is also cool. The film was shot entirely on location in England on an 11-week schedule. It's fairly unusual for a film uh, this big um, Mm -hmm. with kind of this size, you know, cast and everything. Um, But Joe Joe Wright wanted to create a feeling of reality that he felt would help let the actors relax and sort of inhabit their roles more. Uh, on Jan, uh, this is really okay. We're getting into some more fun facts here, but this one's really interesting. Uh, that's all like the production type stuff. This is just more fun notes. On 11th of December 2017, Netflix announced that a person from Chile had watched the film 278 times during that year. It was later reported that that person was a 51 year old woman who declared herself as, quote, obsessed and saw Elizabeth Bennett as, quote, a feminist icon. <laughs> She watched I mean, the movie. She's not wrong. Like, what is that? Five days a week? Like once yeah, a day, five days a week for an entire it's year? Not quite every day, but that's it's pretty lot. close. It's a lot. <laughs> so speaking of Matthew McFadden, as we did earlier, who plays Mr. Darcy, he apparently has very poor eyesight. And there's a shot in the movie where he's uh, it's like it's in the morning and it's like foggy out or something. Mm -hmm, And apparently mm -hmm. Joe Wright had to stand behind the camera and wave a giant red flag so that he knew where to go. Get that man contacts. <laughs> I guess, yeah. Like, could he not wear contacts or something? I don't know. I thought that was interesting. By the way, these are IMDb fun facts, so God knows if they're true or not. <laughs> but that was the number one most upvoted one. Like, you know, they have, like, the way the IMDb facts work is, like, people can, like, say this was helpful or not or, yeah. like, good or not. And That was the I most helpful That fact. was the top-rated one. I don't know if that means it's <laughs> accurate or if people thought it was fun. Like, I have no idea how they how that works, but... Uh, at the beginning of the movie, Elizabeth is shown reading a novel titled First Impressions, which you mentioned was the original title of Pride and Prejudice. Rosamund Pike, <laughs> Rosamund Pike uh, was director Joe Wright's first choice for the role of Jane. She turned down the role of Rita Skeeter in Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire to be in this film. She seems too young to have played Rita Skeeter. Apparently in 2005 and now again who knows when it says she turned down the role she may have been considered and yeah she, who knows yeah. if they were ever you know or she may have or they may have literally offered it to her and she said no you know you because i think i think of rita skeeter as like a middle-aged yes. woman like yeah and rosamund pike in 2005 was like was like 30. very fresh and dewy she was and, like not like yeah. maybe 30 like maybe <laughs> if, if that yeah uh, so while editing, this is interesting and something to look out for while watching the movie. While editing the scene where Elizabeth and Darcy, uh, Mr. Darcy, uh, have their first dance, Joe Wright discovered that they had inadvertently uh, filmed the entire scene in one take via a camera that they had set up for establishing shots, and that single take version is what's in the movie. Hmm. But that wasn't their original plan when shooting the film. They were going to use other cameras, but they were like, "No, we like this." Uh, and finally, Keira Knightley was preparing for her role in the film Domino, which also came out in 2005, while she was filming this, and she had already cut her hair, so she had to wear a wig during the last few weeks of filming and long sleeves to hide her muscles. 
Once and again, I think I think we should have just had Buff Elizabeth Bennett. Uh, yeah, why are we? Why are you robbing us of Jacked Elizabeth Bennett? <laughs> <laughs> but also, once again, we have because uh, um, in Little Women, uh, the ninety five or ninety whatever three ninety three one. Oh, 94. 94, the main character, the actress. Winona Ryder. Winona Ryder. I always forget her name, and I don't know why I have yeah, such with, a hard time her remembering wig. her. She also had yeah. to wear a wig for that role, so it, it made me think of it because it's, you know, kind of a And similar. this this wig, I believe, is another contentious thing about this Oh, is it very movie. noticeable? Like, people don't like her wig. Okay. I don't mind Well, it was it, only a couple, but... apparently only a couple weeks of the... I think an, well, I think another thing that people have a problem with is that she has like bangs, which mm. I don't think are period accurate. I have no idea. I couldn't pretend to tell you because I like. I, there's always things that are. Don't that, even get me started on the period accurate costume people. Don't even get me started on that. <laughs> That's its own heated thing. Um, but it's funny because there are also things that. And obviously the people who know, know, but like there's some things that people might assume aren't period that actually are. Yeah. And, but that's, I'm not saying that there are people that like the people who study it know those things are like, well, that's not period. Obviously they know, but there are people like, you know, more layman people who might look at something and think it seems. Right. Um, archaic, not archaic. Um, archaic? An- anachronistic. Anachronistic. That's the word I was looking for. When in fact it's not. Um, and there are a lot of things that don't look anachronistic that actually are. So yes. it's, it's a, it's a weird thing. And there are a lot of things that we simply don't know. Yep. That's true. That is also true. Um, probably less so from this time period, but yeah, cause we had a lot more documentation. Not, not as much. Yeah. But the further back you go, the less we actually knew. So, <clears throat> all right, that's it for the movie facts. Where can you watch it? As always check your local library or if you still have a local video rental store, Check with them. We're going to have to strike that from uh, this. Eventually. 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 Uh, uh, also, you can stream this on Peacock. Uh, it says it's free. And Peacock, from my understanding and everything I've looked at so far, unless there's a prime version or something that I'm not aware of, uh, you just set up an account. Like, you just create it, like, with an email address, and then it's free. Hmm. There may be a premium version yeah. that I haven't noticed or haven't uh, interacted with. I don't know with. how Peacock works. I've never it's been on It's just like it. any other streaming service, um, from my experience so far. But, uh, yeah, so it says it's on Peacock. I don't know. I assume it's free on Peacock. So if you set up an account, you should be able to watch it. Uh, It's also available to stream on Showtime or Showtime Anytime with a subscription or on Hulu, Sling TV, FUBU TV, and Amazon Prime with a premium subscription. And what I assume that is is a Showtime add-on for those. Amazon Prime and Hulu, if you look, both say watch with Showtime add-on. So I'm assuming, yeah, that's probably the same for Sling and FUBU. Yep. FUBU, whatever that is. It's probably FUBU. And finally, you can rent it for $3.99 through Amazon Prime, YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, etc. Uh, and it may be on other, because it was on Netflix for a long time, but yeah. it's not anymore. It Like on Canada, in Canada, it may be it on might, Netflix because they don't have CBS. So like there may be rights. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like they don't have Peacock, I would assume, because that's a, an American broadcast network. So, <laughs> um, yeah, in other countries, it may be on Netflix or something. But you can look that up for yourself. Or if you're like me, maybe you have it on DVD. Or maybe you have it on DVD and you can watch it that way. Um, I'm excited. I Like I said, I watched this in high school uh, at the behest of our our friends groups. Girls were like, we're watching Pride and Prejudice tonight. From my memory, that was what happened. And we were like, all right. 
and I remember thinking it was fine. <laughs> like I and like I didn't hate it or anything, but um, I was also like, uh, I'm excited so. uh, because I actually really like that. I I actually adore this movie. Um, this is like one of my comfort movies. Like I would pop this in if I was sick there and like go. sit on the sofa with soup there and watch Pride and Prejudice. Fantastic. Well, we made soup the other day. We so did. You, can, <laughs> you can have soup while we watch it. <laughs> uh, all right. Fantastic. So come back in one week's time. We are talking about Pride and Prejudice. Oh, also a note for the patrons where I, right after this, we're recording a, another extra bonus episode for our $5 and up patrons where we're going to talk about, and I'll mention this again in the main episode in case you already turned the episode off, but you're not listening now, so you wouldn't know. Um, <laughs> we're recording an extra bonus episode where we're going to talk about a Promising Young Woman and uh, the Hulu uh, special um, In and of Itself by uh, uh, something Delgado. I can't remember his name. It's a magic. Derek, Derek, Derek Delgadio. De- Derek Delgadio in and of itself, which is on Hulu. Um, it's a magic theater special kind of thing. Um, we're going to talk about both of those on a bonus episode, so you can look forward to that in the next few days. Uh, and that's it. Until it's, uh, next time, next time, next week. Guys, gals, time by everybody else. Keep reading books. Watch movies. And keep, keep being awesome. Books.